everyone. Welcome to the Digital Infrastructure Podcast, a podcast where we talk about digital infrastructure. Specifically, we talk mainly about cohortees and grantees, which have been the recipients of the Digital Infrastructure Fund. That is a large fund which is given to various researchers to figure out, once again, what digital infrastructure is. Yes, we say digital infrastructure a lot here. I'm very excited to have our guests on this podcast today because there are many of them. This is the first time I've had this many guests on a podcast, which makes me very excited. And it means this is going to feel somewhat like speed dating. I hope that's okay. And I hope we learn a lot. Why do we have so many guests? Because we're having one repeat guest and all of her relevant cohortees. We have Rhea L. Zane calling in today from Code for Science and Society. I always get that right, I think. Yes, excellent. CSS. Very excited to have Rhea in today. Rhea, you have been building a digital incubator. Can you tell me more about what this incubator is and how it works? Yeah, thank you, Richard. It's great to be here, and I'm really happy to be here with all of the teams in our incubator today. So the Digital Infrastructure Incubator at Code for Science and Society is a cohort-based capacity building program for open source digital public infrastructure projects. The program is part of CSNS's mission to advance the power of data to improve the social and economic lives of all people. Our capacity building work across programs invests in the people and the teams behind open source, open data, open research, and digital infrastructure projects. We work with projects at different scales and levels of growth around the world as they navigate the daily granular challenges of building open software, open systems, and open infrastructure. The Incubator is our newest program doing this work, as we talked about way in the beginning, (laughs) several months ago, Richard. 2021-2022 was the pilot iteration of the Incubator program, and I'm happy to be here with five of the six teams that we've been working with this year. In this year's cohort, we had three focus groups. They were governance, community engagement, and cultural infrastructure. Of course, these are all interconnected and the teams saw that in their work as well. The purview of the incubator within the Digital Infrastructure Fund was to bridge research about open source and open infrastructure and research-based recommendations about best practices with the daily work of trying to implement those recommendations. So we kind of surveyed the space and saw what curricula are available and resources are available and worked with teams to point them to the resources in the moment of need. So let's start with Saranjit Kaur and Heather Turner, who are building community around the R Development Guide. Okay. Hello, everybody. My name is Saranjit. I am a co-lead of the project on building a community on the R Development Guide. I'm working with Heather Turner on this project, which is mentored by Raya Enzyme at the Digital Infrastructure Incubator by Code for Science and Society. In this project, we have been working on conducting monthly collaboration campfires, which Heather will explain in details in a bit. We have so far conducted three sessions, and all these sessions are focused on getting new contributors to learn how to contribute to the R project. Over to you, Heather. Okay. Yeah. So far, we've organized three sessions. We started in January with a session with community champions where we were getting some input on our plans and some ideas about how we could outreach to their communities. And then we've had two further sessions in February and March related to our bug tracking process. So the first was an exploratory session 
And the second one was a little bit more directed at how people could help review our bug reports. This week, uh, Saranjit and I are at the collaborations workshop organized by the Software Sustainability Institute, where I gave a lightning talk about the project. And we've proposed a, a pitch for the hack day, which is tomorrow, where we hope to convert some of our materials into a, a carpentry style lesson so that we'll have a sort of lasting output from these sessions that can be reused to run them again or for people to use for self-learning. And perhaps, Saranjit, you can say what's coming up next. Yes, so up next are two more sessions in the month of April and May. You can join us, our sessions, our campfire sessions, using the link that we'll be sharing. And we hope to see you there. So the sessions are based on translations, so how the translation process works with the R project and how you can contribute to the translations team. This is going to be a really tough hour because I'm really excited and I want to ask you all the questions in the world about that project. That is really, really cool. First, I didn't know that you're working directly on R. Second, I didn't know that you're working with SSI. Software Sustainability Institute are the best. They're really, really cool people and everyone should check out what they do. And I really hope that your workshops continue to be made and continue to inspire other workshops in the future. So listeners, be sure to check out the link for that. Saranjit and Heather, thank you so much. That is the coolest thing ever. All right, Rhea, who's next? So Serendit and Heather working on building community around the R development guide. We're in the cultural infrastructure focus group. So I wonder if we should go to the next project that was kind of paired there. And that would be Batul El Marzu, who is with us from Open Science Community of Saudi Arabia. Yeah, thank you so much. Really, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Raya. So I am Batwin Marzouk. I am the lead for Open Science Community Saudi Arabia, advocate for open science and how it can potentially really fix problems within the community in the global south and address the complex challenges in the region. However, I do realize there is a lack of resources, awareness, tools, or even communities that are the open science in the region. And by the region, I mean Arabic-speaking country. So just to give some context about the project, the Open Science Community Saudi Arabia Vision is basically to provide that space or place where individuals who have no exposure about open science can interact with more experienced people, can inspire each other in how to adopt open science practices in their workflow. And at the same time, also provide feedback and support services and infrastructure. And one of the issues that I always raised at least nine out of 10 of our community meeting is the problems or the barriers of the implementation of the fair principles and practice in the region and how the data that we have within the region, most of it is inaccessible. And once you access it, if it is accessible, it's unusable. So if you're not familiar with the fair, I'm not gonna go much in details about it, but it's a set of principle to enhance the value of digital resources. And very mindful of the time, so I'm not gonna go in much details. It stands for findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. And this fair principle looks so, so beautiful, not just because it will increase discoverability, um, opportunity, visibility, even wider impact in the economy. But in reality, when we try to really implement it in any of the Arabic-speaking country, we encounter some very, very unique barriers that have never been researched before. Some of it to do with the culture, some of it to do with the legal system, some of it technical. So in the incubator, we're trying to provide mapping of the landscape of the science, of the fair principles in the middle region, and really looking into this hidden infrastructure and explore this limitation 
within the digital infrastructure and how to adopt the fair data practices in Arabic speaking countries. Yeah, and identifying the need of the local community to derive the creation of policy that can really foster a fair data culture and maximize the accessibility and functionality of the local data and scientific output, hopefully. That sounds great. Thank you so much. That is really interesting work. Fair principles are awesome. If you haven't checked them out yet, go and check them out. You can see them at go-fair.org. One of my questions for you, Batul, is have you looked into other areas besides just Arabic-speaking areas? Like, are there other places which are adjacent, say, Spanish-speaking areas that could benefit from your work? So we focus in in language that is right-to-left languages, like Arabic-speaking, because the barriers that we found in the language that speak from right to left is very, very unique and it's not very explored within the literature. So we're trying to look specifically, yeah, and focusing in Arabic because Arabic is the most spoken language within the region, yeah. Excellent. I really like that. I love seeing work done on right to left languages in general, which has to do with open data, open fairness, et cetera. There's so little. So shukran for that work. That is the best. Thank you so much. All right, um, so happy to introduce the team from Council Data Project, Nick Weber and Jackson Maxwell-Brown. Everybody, thanks so much for having us today. We're excited to talk about our work. So we work in the civic tech space and I think trying to explain the Council Data Project is maybe best done through this old saying that all politics is local. But in the USA, at least, people are often most engaged in politics at the national level. So watching presidential debates, voting for members of Congress, fighting with members of Congress. But as the saying goes, right, local politics play an outsized role in people's everyday lives. From doing things like setting minimum wage standards to zoning for housing or even budgeting for public transportation. But despite this importance, a major dilemma to being engaged in local politics is access to high quality information. Our work on the Consolidated Project or CDP is meant to help people find and engage with information about their local East County and local governments. The Consolidated Project or CDP is an open source infrastructure for collecting, processing, archiving, and publishing information from local municipal council meetings. The central idea behind CDP was to make it easy to find information relating to a keyword or topic. So for example, if you're interested in how your city council is addressing some niche topic, like a bike lane on your street or a park in your neighborhood, CDP enables you to search and discover specific bills or even transcripts and jump to that like a specific point in the transcript where that idea or topic was being discussed in a city council meeting. So in this way, CDP serves as a system for keeping up to date on your local council actions. In building these tools to help people discover and interact with local government information, we also found there's just a lot we can do with processing and linking this kind of data. For example, it's currently pretty rare for a city council member's voting record to be easily accessed. Or if you're interested in following a bill as it moves through council, there's not really a good way to do that with a lot of city council infrastructure. And we make this possible with CDP infrastructure so that you can both see and retrieve your local politicians' votes for you know, the last year when it's an election cycle. Or you can also track like the provenance of a bill as it moves through public comment, to a committee, to a vote, to the mayor, or so on. So CDP is currently being used in Seattle, Washington, Portland, Oregon, and Missoula, Montana. But we've also been growing a ton over the last two years. So our work during the incubator is focused on how we facilitate sustainably scaling support for developers and users of CDP 
so that we can eventually reach more cities in the USA and beyond, but also helping people really to make that connection between the information that exists about their city councils and the local politics and politicians that they are elected and that they are hoping represent them. So speaking as an American, what's the best way that I can implement this in my city and or how can we best support this work going forward? There's a really good organization called Code for America, and we've had a lot of success basically reaching out to their brigade network, which has, you know, meetups or groups in various cities across the country that, you know, we're going to code for Portland or open Oakland or open Seattle, for example, and reaching out to those brigades and saying, I know of CDP as an infrastructure and as a software, would anyone in this group be interested in helping deploy it? Because there's usually a pretty good overlap of people interested in civic technology and uh, public policy in those groups. That is great. I love that so much. Again, want to talk to you for an hour at least. But lacking that, Rhea, who's next? The next team was also in the governance focus group. And that is team of one, Stefan Driscott, who represents citation file format. Thanks. So yeah, I'm, I'm Stefan. I'm a doctoral researcher in computer science at the German Aerospace Center. And I'm co-leading the Citation File Format project together with my colleague Jurian Sparks from the Netherlands East Science Center, who can't be here, unfortunately. So in the Citation File Format project, we are trying to help people that develop software for research to make this software citable. And the way we do this is by developing a format and a schema for citation metadata files for research software, and also some tools to work with these files. Why we do this is because we think that citing research software is important for a number of reasons. For one, it helps the researcher and the RSEs, the research software engineers, to get credit for their work. It also enables them to build a career on this work, although they usually don't write papers, but they, you know, they write software instead. Software citation, we think, is also important for things like tracing research results and the provenance. And if the software is actually cited correctly down to things like the version that was used for a paper, this enables reproducibility of the reported results better. Problem is that the metadata you need to do this correct citation of software is elusive. It's hard to find, especially when it comes to the people who qualify as software authors, for example, but also with respect to versions, et cetera, et cetera. So the citation file format allows people to add a file with the relevant metadata to their software source code. And because that file is human and machine readable, it makes it easier for downstream services, but also for the end user to find that metadata and cite the software correctly. We've recently seen some interest in CFF from a number of key platforms, and that has really driven some growth for the project. GitHub, for example, has included, integrated the citation file format to provide citation information for the repositories. We have Zenodo, who are now using the CFF metadata to create their software records. And we have seen a number of reference managers that can now import metadata from the CFF files, like Jabrev and Sotero, for example. Due to that recent attention and the growth, we want to make sure that the project itself stands on firmer feet because we're a small number of people working on the project. And we want to be able to handle the growth in a way that allows us to keep the aims of the project intact on one hand but also to try and serve the community better and reflect all that in our strategy as well. So to do this, we need to spread what's in our heads, so to speak, across a more diverse and probably more knowledgeable group of people, for example, in the steering committee. I'm really happy to be part of this incubator because it's really a great opportunity to network and to learn and collaborate and for us to develop a governance model for CFF that reflects the ethics and caters to the needs of the project. Stefan, that is... 
Really important, really, really important work. I really hope it goes well. I have a ton of questions for you in terms of like interoperability between Dryad or or other sorts of things. But I think the main question I'm having is standards are really easy to create and very hard to implement at scale. And so one of the questions I have, well, they're easy to make badly. They're hard to make well. Let's let me clarify that. One of the questions I have for you is what are you doing to make sure that the administrations and say tenure committees are actually going to pay attention to having such a standard? built around software as a primary research object? Like, how are you working politically to make sure that your standard is going to be used? I wouldn't think of CFF as being a standard. I think of it as more being a bridge between what the researchers need and what we all need for research to become more valued when it's software. We're definitely closely connected to some groups and projects in this space. So I'm part of the Force 11 Software Citation Implementation Working Group. Right. Um, who, who come from the uh, scholarly communications community. And we're also, we also talk a lot to other projects such as Code Meta and the different other players, people from data side, et cetera, to make sure that what we do doesn't get lost and we see it as a stepping stone to a better practice of research software citation. We don't think it's the end yet. And also, we need to do some work on the schema as well to make it work better. It's grown organically. So there is still some work to do. It happens, but organic growth grows the largest in the end. So good luck with that. I really hope that goes well, especially I hope it integrates eventually with things like registries, which are a mess right now, because if we are able to actually say what tools are being used at scale, and then we can give proper credit towards people, which builds a better sustainable world and better digital infrastructure for everyone, which is the whole point. So Stefan, that is really cool. And thank you so much for representing Yuri and Fox. Not actually in the incubator, <laughs> but still a good person. So yeah. thank you. Rhea, who's next? Next team, Gemma Turan and Miguel Duran Frigola from Ercilia. Hi, so I'm Gemma. I'm one of the co-founders of the Ercilia Open Source Initiative. I'm here together with Miguel. So let me give a brief overview of what we are trying to build with Ercilia, and then Miguel will go into what have we been working with the incubator, which has been a great experience. The City Open Source Initiative is a small nonprofit that was born in 2020, just before the COVID pandemic hit, to bridge the gap between computer scientists and experimental researchers. Our mission is to strengthen the research capacity against infectious diseases in low-income countries, because those produce less than 10% of the world's research output. This means that their population has to rely on solutions that are devised elsewhere, mostly in the global north, and that are maybe not adapted to their needs and their situations. Data science and particularly artificial intelligence are great assets to work in low resource settings, but many many scientists do not have access to it because like myself, a few years ago, we don't know how to code. We don't have the skills or the expertise, and these are very difficult to come by in some settings. So at Ercilia, we provide open source, ready to use tools, to support researchers do their work, for example, to help them predict if a new drug will kill the malaria parasite before they have to do an experiment. And moreover, sustainable knowledge transmission is at the core of our work. We deploy our tools in collaboration with institutions and universities in the global south, and we build and implement them in situ, involving local scientists in our work with the goal to become a support group to scientific leaders in those communities. Mikel, over to you. Thanks, Gemma. So yeah, we invest uh, most of our time doing science and research. 
both Gemma and myself, uh, we come from a very academic background. This means that we put a lot of effort into developing a good technology that is sound and works. However, as we know, creating the tech non-profit is much more than just the technology. And here's where the digital infrastructure incubator has been instrumental for us. Two challenges that we were faced with were, one, finding a good governance model that is sustainable and will allow us to grow. And second, identifying a way of explaining what we do more clearly. This means writing documents, pitches, and slides that will help us spread our mission and attract collaborators. I have to say that the digital infrastructure incubator has been a great experience to tackle these problems, these challenges. And I also want to emphasize the importance of being part of a cohort of great initiatives. I feel we've synergized a lot over the months. Muchas gracias. That is awesome. I really love working from the Global South in general. And this also reminds me and makes me think of the other cohortees who are not part of the Digital Incubator, but part of the Digital Infrastructure Fund. For instance, Nevera Lemos is working on climate change and local communities in Brazil. And Jorge Bennett is working on cooperatives in Mexico and Central America, trying to look at how they work together. And so all this work seems to me to be very, very relevant. I'm also really noticing that you're focusing on say, lesser-known countries, lesser-known diseases. One of the main reasons that research doesn't get out so much is because lesser-known languages are often prevalent in those areas, and there's no tools for coders to work in lesser-known languages. So it's really cool to see your project at the same time as the tools project, working on, say, left-to-right languages. That is awesome. Mycorrhizal spores everywhere. One question I would have is if I was working at a large organization that was based in, say, the Western English-speaking northern world of that. How can I best help? How can I get involved and how can I spread more light towards your projects? Yeah, so that's a great question. And actually something that we are trying to build and put together more structure that that's very easy. If that's a software or a code developer, just jump to our GitHub. Everything we do is open source. You can help us improve our tools. If you're a researcher, just contact us and we'll be happy to see if your expertise can be of help to any of our collaborators in those countries. Excellent. Close. That's not my exact question. If I'm at a large organization, how can I fund the organization to help? Not just individual. What can I do to pitch to higher ups to make sure that they can contribute funds, developers, time, assets, money, etc.? What resources do you have to help me pitch up? So thank you for the question, Richard, and for clarifying that. We love when larger organizations want to support our mission. We are part of some employee volunteer programs. This means organizations let their, for example, super cool software developers working at those large corporations with a lot of expertise, something that we cannot afford to pay for, dedicate their time to our mission. So that's definitely something that we really look for. And of course, if our area of work is of interest and aligns with the mission and the corporate vision of those large institutions. We are also super happy to discuss possibilities for funding or developing projects together to further our reach. Excellent answer. That is also coincidentally the answer that every other cohort is thinking right now. So if you're interested in any of these cohorts, please reach out to them. They will have an answer for you to help pitch up if you want to say, reach out to Heather or Patul or Stephen. And yes, it's my job to say that they have those things because they don't have time to say it because we're busy going on to who's next, right? Or is that it? So that's it who's with us today. I'll read a brief statement about Solar Protocol, the sixth team who's not with us today. 
So Solar Protocol, which is the team that accompanies Ercilia in our community engagement focus group, Solar Protocol is a web platform hosted across the network of solar-powered servers set up in different locations around the world. Currently, servers are located in Canada, the United States, Dominica, Chile, and Australia, with additional servers being installed in Kenya, India, and China. When connected as a network, the servers coordinate to serve a website from whichever of them is enjoying the most sunshine at the time. With servers located in different time zones, seasons, and weather systems, the network directs internet traffic to wherever the sun is shining. The project is part poetic exploration of internet infrastructure and part research platform for energy-efficient web design. In the incubator, project leaders Tiga Brain, Alex Nathanson, and Benedetta Piantella have been working on developing more documentation uh, and educational resources and developing community guidelines and decision-making protocols. They are exploring questions like many of our teams, how can we better support the project stewards and evolve this project to a point where it doesn't rest solely on the project founders' voluntary labor to maintain it. Just to give it some more flair, what are you most excited about for that project? For that project, they are a team of researchers. They're all at NYU. And the idea is one that has garnered a lot of attention and interest for them. They get a lot of interest of people wanting to set up servers, right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of a little bit of the opposite problem that Ercilia is facing, where they're really looking for people to contribute. They have mm-hmm. kind of a lot of interest and they aren't sure how they want to scale. They're not really interested in a million servers. They're trying to figure out what is the best way to be able to use the platform to funnel resources from places that have a lot to places that don't have a lot. What does growth look like for a global project like that? It's really exploring with intermittency as its own kind of sustainability. That's really interesting. It makes me think about what a degrowth sustainable technological future would look right. Exactly. A lot of the sustained stuff that I talk about or digital infrastructure in general is always kind of about growth and getting people to grow. And that that doesn't really jive with a lot of the environmental movements I read about or work with. And so the idea of helping lift other people up to the same level, but then not worrying so much about growth in general, but more about scaling so that everyone can be on the same playing field seems a lot more clear to me and just resonates a lot more. So I just want to thank you for triggering that thought in my mind it'll help out (laughs) anytime excellent so that's one of the other projects you said that there were 15 projects how many were there no 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 there are six (laughs) there are six okay good Six. so that was it that was the last one okay cool so these are the participants i guess i have a a follow-up question which is how can we learn more about their work is there any wrap-up event going on is there anything else like that that we could tune into Yeah, perfect. Thanks, Richard. So we are wrapping up work with our teams in the cohort in April and May. And at the end of April, we're actually going to have a public facing event that will feature lightning talks from those speakers that you've just heard in more depth talking about their work and what they've been focusing on in the incubator. It will be April 27th, starting at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time. The practice of building digital infrastructure is the conclusion of our Building Laterally public event series that was hosted in the, in the incubator this year. You can find recordings for the past events at the link that we'll host in the show notes. And you can find a registration for the practice of building digital infrastructure 
which goes into more nitty gritties with these teams in the show notes. Will there be a recording of this session on April 27th as well, just in case listeners are listening to this after that date? Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yes, there will be. And they'll all be hosted on the Building Laterally page on the incubator site, incubator.codeforscience.org. This was really fun. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot, which is really exciting. Oh, this I hope you did too. Oh, listeners. Yes, we're talking to you right now. If you're interested in learning more about the digital infrastructure incubator, you can always do so by listening to the first episode again. That's dif.fireside.fm slash one, I believe. It's anywhere that this podcast is being served. So just press the back button a few times and you'll get to that episode with Rhea and also with Daniel Robinson, of course. Of course, there are just two of many of the cohortees who are working on the Digital Infrastructure Fund, which is basically identical to the incubator in the topics and interest level. Maybe not in the scale, maybe not in the amount of time given, maybe not in whoever was their general manager or whatever, you know, Rhea's technical term is. But I really enjoyed hearing all of you. And I think that there are more stories to be told out of this work. If anyone is interested in having me focus on any of these projects and having them come on for another podcast, please get in touch. If you have any, any other comments, please get in touch. It would be really cool to be able to make this work grow further. If you have any ideas for how this podcast could help do that or anything else, again, get in touch. You can do that by emailing me. I'm Richard at opencollective.com. You can also do it by tweeting at Rich Lit. There are many links for all of the people here. So if you're interested in following any of them, my best suggestion is to go to the show notes. I think me reading out a kind of like medicine advertisement level thing is just not the thing to do. However, the show notes, which are made by the wonderful duo, Paul and Deanne, are amazing editors. And Paul, keep this in the podcast. I know you want to edit it out. Are available online again at dif.fireside.fm. You can also find a link at digitalinfrastructure.fund where you can just go click on podcast in the header and you will get here. That's it for today. Thank you all so much. This was super exciting. I really hope all your work goes really well. And yes, I'm pretty much always this excited, but like in reality, this was actually really, really cool. So really, thank you all so much. Thank you, Richard.